drone swarms as weapons of mass destruction. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Zachary Callenborn, research affiliate with the Unconventional Weapons and Technology Division of the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism, and policy fellow at the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. Welcome, Zach. Thanks for having me on. Another credential, or should I call it an accomplishment that I didn't mention in your introduction, is that of official U.S. Army mad scientist. What did you do to earn that <laughs> Easily my favorite title. Um, and I should say officially proclaimed because I'm not affiliated with the uh, U.S. military itself. But uh, it's a great initiative run by the U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command, the Army Mad Scientist Initiative, where they explore the future of warfare. Um, and as one fun thing they like to do is folks that they do good work for them, um, either in speaking or writing, they give them this great little uh, title of Mad Scientist. It's wonderful and I like it. I do too. Uh, let's talk about drone swarms. What kind of drones are we talking about and how are they programmed and controlled? Yeah, so at the moment, what we're primarily looking at is like those little small drones, like almost the type of thing you would see uh, like off Amazon or Best Buy that consumers get, in which they collaborate and talk one, talk to one another in some level of uh, manner. It may be, may be very simple, like they just watch each other and make sure they don't actually run into each other. But at the, at the more complex ones, you have um, task allocation algorithms and actual programs that help them coordinate and communicate to undertake specific actions. But in the longer term, we're certainly looking at much more complex systems. Um, experiments are going on now with, for example, collaborative ground and aerial robots that work together to accomplish tasks like you know, searching an area for uh, a disaster area for a victim or something of that sort. In the way longer term, you know, you're looking at way more complex than that. Naval Postgraduate School, for example, is examining the potential for drone swarms of up to a million drones operating on sea, in the air, undersea, all interacting together. So let's talk more about that. So who then has drone swarms now and who's working on them? So that's one of the things that's hard to judge. Just based on open source reports, um, all sorts of states are developing them. So the most significant tested capability that I'm familiar with is the PERDEX swarm, which is designed by uh, students at MIT and is being used by the US Strategic Capabilities Office, in which they had 103 drones launched out of an F-18 uh, fighter jet, I should say three F-18 fighter jets, that all interacted together, worked together to you know, do undertake various tasks. That's the most significant, but a variety of countries are working at it. Um, India has programs, China, I believe South Africa, Spain, the United Kingdom, Russia, uh, and a number of countries as well. And the, the rapid, and many of these have just been announced within the past year or so, because this technology, when it comes down to it, is not all that complicated. Why all the discussion about whether a drone swarm should be classified as a potential weapon of mass destruction? Yeah, so I'll say just step back a bit. Like the main idea of a weapon mass destruction, while well, it ends up being, you know, covered in all sorts of politically charged areas. But I mean, the key, key idea that we have there is, that, is what happens if you have a weapon that has cause massive harm that can't be effectively controlled. So we see that with like chemical weapons, for example, where we have issues where uh, bad winds, for example, may blow the agent into an unsuspecting population and kill, you know, all sorts of people that the military doesn't want to from civilians to um, like livestock and all sorts of other problems. So the issue with swarms specifically is you're 
having potentially those same type of properties where if we have like a thousand drones, there's no way that a human can reasonably control what that is. And the, the simple reality is artificial intelligence, while it's made leaps and bounds in all sorts of fascinating ways, is not sufficient yet to deal with many of the challenges of the battlefield where you have, you know, people, vehicles, environment moving, changing constantly. You have lots of clutter from buildings, trees, maybe animals that make it's very difficult to use autonomous systems to appropriately recognize, like, is this, an, is this a military target or is this a civilian? Like, consider a farmer. A farmer might have a rifle, but so might a soldier. So just the existence of a rifle may not be sufficient to decide, okay, is this a military person? There's, so there's a lot of judgment that simply artificial intelligence is not yet capable of making those decisions. So give some examples. What are some ways that drone swarms could be deployed as weapons? Yeah, so there's a variety. So both the interesting and in some ways unfortunate aspect is drone swarms has applications potentially across the full nature of warfare. So for example, um, drone swarms might work very well as coordinated sort of search and destroy type weapons where the drones fall over or fly or travel or by, I guess not really swim, but um, you know travel over a wide area, potentially searching for targets um, that they recognize as potentially uh, attackable and then you know blow them up shoot them however it may be um, now there are of course some distinctions here like compared to say missiles or other types of weapons where because these drones are often relatively small on um, the means you know you have a bit smaller of like an explosive charge so it may, may make more sense for like certain situations to say you know attack enemy infantry or something like that where you don't necessarily want to use a big um, huge explosive is battery capacity still a factor that could limit the scope of use for a drone swarm? Absolutely. Um, many of the drones, like commercial drones, um, that things can potentially only last like in a half an hour um, in terms of their actual travel speed, um, which are not travel time, I should say. Um, so that's definitely a factor as well. But one of the things that the milita various militaries are looking at is sort of how do you transport um, the drones and potentially integrating them with larger platforms that may either have like recharging capabilities or um, can simply like, you know, do all the heavy lifting to sort of get the drone to where they kind of want it to go. And then, you know, even if you have that relatively limited time, it's not all that gonna be all that far, your targets aren't gonna be all that far away. You take the position that the U.S. should lead in limiting armed, fully autonomous drone swarms. Shouldn't that be a multinational effort rather than a unilateral one? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I absolutely think it should be multilateral. Um, I, I signal the United States just in part because, you know, being an American and you know, working with uh, U.S. government agencies and stuff like that, it's sort of naturally where my uh, focus goes. But I think absolutely it needs to be an um, international uh, effort. But exactly what that means, I think, is a really complex um, problem, particularly because uh, the United States, for example, opposes um, a complete ban on autonomous weapons. Um, I'm tend to agree with that a little bit, um, simply because I think the challenges are so broad. Um, because drone swarms, autonomous drone swarms are necessarily a subset of broader autonomous weapons, um, which may have, uh, may vary very uh, significantly in their concerns. So if you're talking about, say, like a stationary um, turret that primary is only occasionally used in autonomous, in like a fully autonomous mode where no humans control, and only in like last ditch circumstances to say shoot down um, enemy missiles. Like to me, that's not necessarily much of a concern. But certainly there are very real risks here, and there needs to be a global conversation about what's the best approach to recognize where are these risks and how, what set of policies can be most useful in reducing them. 
But Zachary, if we limit usage, but our adversaries don't, aren't we just making a strategic error? I think so, uh, to some extent. And that's certainly where the calculation is like, how do you actually balance that sort of military utility against the, um, you know, the moral and ethical concerns about it. And I think some of that comes from, uh, number one, understanding better where and when these weapons are useful, and as well as narrowing what specific situations. Um, so a lot of discussion is focused on like, okay, what if instead we, we say, okay, we don't want weapons to, these weapons to attack personnel, whether they attack vehicles. I don't necessarily know that that completely absolves some of these ethical concerns, but that's at least, you know, a, a way that you can sort of balance some of these risks. But more broadly, certainly we balance ethics and military value all the time within our weapon systems. You know, the international humanitarian law, you know, has been around for decades that have recognized that, you know, there are certain things that militaries need to do to comply with ethical standards from, you know, adequately discriminating between uh, soldiers and not soldiers, you know, making sure that the military effects are proportional to their what you're trying to achieve. You know, you don't want to just nuke a city over like a minor skirmish or something like that. So that's something we've long recognized and, and treated other weapons in similar ways. So, for example, chemical weapons have been banned since uh, 1993 in the United States, yeah, in, across the world. And there's been major efforts to disarm and uh, remove some of these weapons because they recognize that you not only have these ethical concerns in many ways, you know, they aren't necessarily useful for militaries because, because some of those same challenges. Zachary Callenborn, Research Affiliate with the Unconventional Weapons and Technology Division of the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Response to Terrorism and Policy Fellow at the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. Oh, and Mad Scientist. Thank you so, thank you so much for joining us, Zachary. If somebody wants to connect with you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, but if you just want to read my stuff, uh, the best option is with my uh, website, just Z, my first initial, and then last name, Callenborn.com. I have lists and links to all the various things that I've written, and you can learn all about drone swarms. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. And find and subscribe to more of my interviews right here on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or at TanyaHall.net. Thanks for watching.